Hello and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. Today is Thursday, March 15th, 2018, otherwise known as Everything You Think Is Wrong Day. I'm Chris Salamone and with me as always are Mike Montgomery and Ben Ueda. So what do you guys think of that intro? It was all wrong. Solid. Everything about it. <laughs> I was going to see if I could uh, reverse psychology, you guys, but you're too smart. Not today. I'm happy to be here. Wait a minute. You think you're happy to be here or you know it? You better know oh, it. Oh, 100% happy to be here i know cool. Cool. <laughs> what have you been working on mike now that you're uh do you have Man. equipment to work on yeah, yeah 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 okay so i got stuck in a really crappy situation but i'm not letting that hold me back i'm staying positive i was supposed to leave this saturday to meet ben out in joshua tree but last thursday we did a quick little once over on the bus to make sure everything was road ready and we found out one of the headlights didn't work so you know thinking, oh, we just need to replace the headlight, took it to the shop, and turns out there was something wrong with it. Like, I I didn't take it to the shop, and so I didn't hear it all firsthand. But long story short, they had to order a part to fix something else. Um, I mean, in the long term, maybe it's good they caught something that would have gone wrong had I just drove it. But they had to order a part. It's arriving on Tuesday, which is tomorrow, the day we're recording. And I should be leaving... uh, I should be getting the bus back on Tuesday that evening and then leaving Wednesday morning first thing. So I have been working on the lathe while I've been waiting for the bus to get done, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Is that your only tool that you have right now? Uh, I mean, or really, you- most everything else is like tucked away and like yeah. prepped and ready to, ready to get loaded into the bus. So there's mm-hmm. no tools in the bus yet. I need to load it up uh, Tuesday night. But So I've built two things in the past week. I built a metal and wood bookcase, just a really simple oh, yeah. three-tiered shelf metal frame painted flat black and then a two by 12 top and then one by 12 shelves or actually that was the one you sketched up right exactly yeah that's the one that i did the sketchup tutorial on which i got a lot of good feedback on so shout out to everybody that's out here learning how to 3d model um i'm i'm happy i was able to enable you to some degree um maybe you'll learn fusion at some point wink wink me but anyways (laughs) no i don't know (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I was just trying to make a joke. But aside from (laughs) that, I've been messing around with the lathe, which is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm I'm using all carbide tools, so it's a really easy kind of entryway, lower barrier to entry, I think, than traditional tools. Mm -hmm. And I got a a really big jet lathe. It's got a 16-inch swing and I think a 48-inch bed, maybe a 36-inch bed. And so it's it's just way bigger than the project I'm making, which is just a simple hanging uh, wooden pendant light. So essentially... I'm making a wooden shade for a light that, you know, it's going to have the cool kind of braided color cord uh, mm-hmm. light and socket and everything. So it should be simple. I just glued up a maple block out of a few pieces of six quarter maple and I finished turning that today. I've got a little bit of sanding left to do on it, but I think it'll be one of those videos that it's not going to go crazy, but I think the people that, that watch it will hopefully enjoy it because... Lathing is fun, and it's something I'm kind of interested. I've been interested in a long time. I got a lathe, or the first time I ever used a lathe was in middle school in woodshop, and that was a lot of fun. Did y'all have woodshop? That was the first and only time I used a lathe. <laughs> so you did. You wood did have woodshop. Yep, I made you know a little was, like chalice thing. Nice. You know what was kind of weird is that we had woodshop in middle school, but not in high school. Yeah, same with us. That was a little backwards, I felt like. <laughs> Let the little kids do this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let the 12-year-olds use all of this. But no, no, not the teenagers. So yeah. 
it was kind of fun. I hadn't, I hadn't used delay in probably like eight years now, so it was a lot of fun getting to mess around with it. What about y'all? Did you did you guys like Woodshop in junior high? Oh yeah, dude, that was that was my favorite. It's funny, I did not like it at all. Oh really? I was like, Why I'm not? never woodworking. I don't know. I just wasn't <laughs> into it for whatever reason. Like, I was into like drawing and all that kind of stuff, so I liked creative things but i don't know why just like woodworking did not register with me as a seventh yeah. grader whenever i was in a uh, wood shop i built a either eight foot or nine foot tall gun cabinet as a gift to my really? dad yeah and it's, <laughs> oh, and wow. it's still that's in amazing. the office that's ambitious. i'll post a picture of it on the modern maker podcast instagram account at modern maker podcast man i would your but future it's, videos. It's a little traditional. Like it's got all the kind of like crown molding looking stuff on it and it's Updated. made out of it's all golden oak. So, yeah. What about Ben? I know you were homeschooled, but did y'all do anything like that? Uh I had a a bandsaw. Me and my brother got a bandsaw for Christmas, I think when I was 10 and he was 12, and we made a whole bunch of wooden swords and a lot of bandsaw boxes. Oh yeah. Uh, we also did a lot of those mechanical wooden pool toys, you know, the ones with like an offset cam where when you sort of push them on wheels, uh, something sort yeah. of like the, if it's a dinosaur, the mouth opens and closes mm-hmm. is. So uh, we were getting our Izzy Swan on pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty early. Um, and because someone gave us like a book uh, that, that had those patterns and then we ended up developing some of our own patterns. So that was the sort of early woodworking. I've used a lathe uh, once or twice, and it was fun, but then I was immediately struck with, what am I going to make out of this? Yeah. And for me, it's uh, I've started thinking about uh, what I would make if I had a lathe, and I think my approach to it would be, don't make a piece with the lathe, make pieces with the lathes and so i think that the project i would do with a lathe would be a wood chandelier where i'm making all the pieces for it so that way you could have a a wooden object that wasn't the the shape and geometry wasn't bound by the lathe itself which would make it predictable Mm -hmm. but if you took a you know sort of again low level skill with the lathe and you're able to sort of shave sort of wood cones and stuff like that down to, you know, relatively predictable points. You could then sort of assemble some giant sort of flower-like chandelier uh, out of a bunch of turned wood pieces. And I think that would be really cool. The other thing that I think would be interesting would be I was watching people turn wooden bowls. And that's that's awesome, right? You see a lot of skill. But then... That, that's really inspiring. But then I'll go to like a thrift store and I'll see like a whole bunch of wooden bowls <laughs> for sale for like really cheap, right? Or And obviously they're not handmade and not as nice. Right. Or you go to like a CB2 and they sell a bunch of wooden bowls or Target and they sell a bunch of wooden bowls. Yeah. Um, again, not the same level of quality. Uh, so I was thinking, so, but anyways, that, that perceived commonness of the wooden bowl, mm-hmm. I would say makes me uninterested in that. But what I think I would do is then cut the bowls into like quarters and do some sort of like artichoke kind of lamp where those are like scales, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. uh, uh, something like that. So I think that would be my my approach would be make pieces and then assemble something big out of them yeah. or make a ready-made object like a bowl and then cut it into scales and make something else out of it. Yeah, um, just removing it think, like one degree at least from the original piece. Exactly, on the yeah. right? Yeah. Um, 
The other thing that it, that it reminds me of is glass blowing in a lot of ways. I think there's a lot of similarities with the design challenges to glass blowing. Everybody loves glass blowing the same way everybody likes uh, the lathe. It's like the very like stoner friendly kind of like oh, that's awesome, man, right? Because it's it's mesmerizing to watch the spinning mm-hmm. or the sort of shape sort of emerge out of the molten glass. You watch something transform. But you can only make so many bongs, vases, and, and bowls. So I think that that becomes the really interesting opportunity. You look like at, at some of the people that have made names for themselves in glass blowing. People like Dale Chihuly. It's because he did sort of what I'm describing. Is he didn't just make glass pieces. He made glass pieces that are awesome. But then he assembled them to giant pieces of installation art. Yeah, that were awe inspiring. The way like a single glass bowl can't be. So that that would be my sort of uh, the way I would sort of uh, you know approach a lathe, but uh, I haven't I haven't touched a lathe since I was probably like twelve. Um, so it must just like, be a like junior Chris. hire thing, man. Yeah, <laughs> junior <laughs> hires love lathes. Yeah, I, I think it's because I, I acknowledge that it's it's an investment uh, to develop a skill set when we when we see our friends that are that are skilled in the on the lathe, like uh, like Ashley Harwood and uh, uh carl jacobson and uh and, and many of the others uh you know i so appreciate what those people do and you know i, I i'm pretty sure they have their ten thousand of hours of experience in so I, it's something that I'll, I'll 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 invest time in once i have a few design ideas solidly worked out yeah very cool so what have you been working on ben or chris either one of you go ahead ben so a lot of things. Um, constantly in the back burner is just dealing with uh, the tiny house. Yeah. Uh, right now yeah. I've been going back and forth with the structural engineer. And it's one of those things that if you were building this in Texas, it would be really easy, right? Like you would just cut holes in it, re-weld it in. You know, just because of like code? A, a f- yeah. Yeah. But when you go through a full submittal and building process where you're submitting to the planning department – and you hire a really good structural engineering firm, they really take it seriously. So they're 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 kind of really complicating the design uh, in ways that you would never really need. But when you're designing to the letter of the code relative to uh, you know seismic considerations and stuff like that, it ends up becoming really cumbersome. So they're adding a lot of extra steel that doesn't have to be there from a, just a pure hold it together have it not fall apart standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but most building codes are, you know, a factor of three to four X stronger than what the thing would ever need to be. Right. Um, that, and that's a good thing. Um, but that's also, you know, factored in for multi-story buildings that could fall in and a shipping container isn't going to collapse on itself. Yeah. So we're trying to find the right level of meeting all the requirements, but not over designing it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we just realized we're going to have to do is, uh, I didn't want to do a slab under the entire box, but we're going to have to because of the size of the openings that we're cutting in uh, mm. is that code would require us to put steel beams along the entire underside, not just reinforcing the openings, which is what most people do when they make it. Gotcha. Um, now, is there so a difference between the code where is it is the code out in Joshua Tree just as stringent as it is, say, in L.A.? Or is it kind of like statewide that that's that that's happening? So code is pretty much code. The yeah. difference is the process by which it's administered and mm-hmm. followed, right? Right. <laughs> uh, is, is the big difference. Because there's some places where they'll say, yeah, it's supposed to meet code. But but if there's no really 
exhaustive review process, they're only following the obvious sort of basic things yeah. um, and, and, and minimal calcs. Um, so uh, there's enforcement versus and it, the way it's administered versus like the actual you know letter of the law. But there are different different areas uh, of the country do have different codes in different areas of the state, whether something's, you know, the area I'm in is it's called in the seismic zone D and that has a different requirement than seismic zone E. Got it. And it's all relative to, you know, the, the, the things, the other things that, you know, in a lot of places you don't have to do any geotechnical surveys or studies, but in things like this, you have to hire a scientist to, to study the, the soil to give you a rate of compaction and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of annoying that you can't just design to the lowest estimated factor where you actually have to go and commission these reports. But uh, yeah, I think all in right now, I'm probably $20,000 in just on uh, permits mm. and consultants. Holy cow. Uh, Good times. Which is equal to the cost of the land itself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so if, again, if I was doing this in Texas or Vermont, uh, I wouldn't have done any of those things. Um yeah. But that's also why homes in California sell for more money because that's baked into uh, the cost. So it's good and it's bad. Uh, I actually like it from a content standpoint because I'll be showing, I'll be able to do it from the, from the actual, right. here's the, the right way to do it the, yeah. from the sort of professional use case. Um, and obviously I'm not going to tell people to cut corners on anything that involves life safety, but uh, I think people will sort of make their own conclusions from there. So that's, I think that, I think that on, on the flip side, uh, it's really disappointing when a lot of people see something on the internet of like a hastily made shipping container house that's in somebody's backyard. It didn't go through that process. And then they go to their architect and be like, can you design me one of these? And they can't get it done affordably or reasonably because they're doing it the right way. So yeah. it'll be nice to sort of just communicate uh, the things I learned. The other thing that I did uh, more recently in the sort of build front is I finished that acrylic sink for oh, yeah. uh, the Moen commercial that I shot. Oh yeah, I was. I never saw the gummy worm going down the drain. Did you? Yes. You did, you, you'll, yeah. You'll have to wait. I know. You'll I know. Have to I wait know. For the big <laughs> gummy so, anaconda. So I, I, th- this year has been bigger projects, but it's also been tons of deadlines. So I. Don't think I've taken a day off yet in 2018, which is fine. This is this has been a blast. Um, but uh, I had to build this. Uh, so I was doing the the, the lecture uh, stuff at uh, Millersville University. Got back to California, CNC'd a acrylic sink out of half inch uh, acrylic. Came out awesome, and uh, flew with that. <laughs> I literally had to check it. Uh, and the guy at, at the airline was like, what's in this box? And I was like, it's a, it's a clear sink. And he's like, all right, uh, no, I <laughs> no questions. didn't know what to say. Um, so I took it there to, and worked with a very professional, uh, like 10 person production company, uh, with, uh, Home Depot and Moen to really test out this new Moen GX, uh, garbage disposal. And it was pretty incredible. It's a, it's a three quarter horsepower garbage disposal, which is kind of crazy. You know, that like something could be that powerful, like three quarters of a horsepower to grind up old food. Yeah. <laughs> but what's cool about it is that it's also like super, super quiet. Um, and so we, I built this whole stand uh, in this like uh, recording studio 
and uh, we did a lot of testing. So we had a 12, day, uh, 12 hour shoot where we put everything down to garbage disposal and filmed it. Uh, and I even got some really disgusting footage of stuff coming out this clear pipe at the end. So it was a very Willa Wonk, Willy Wonka and a Chocolate Factory kind of vibe. Uh, I put down a 18-inch summer sausage. Uh, there's a lot of really phallic-looking food items. That's what I'm thinking, um, yeah. Fits down the drain. And I was trying not to say, like, make inappropriate, like, innuendos or something. I was like... Oh, as I like have an eggplant and like putting it down a garbage disposal. And yeah, you know, this is it's a commercial, so yeah, you know, I gotta gotta keep it you know very family friendly. Uh, and yeah, you know, so I just said you know, and my third favorite emoji. Um, right. So uh, we had a giant gummy worm, jawbreakers, a whole salmon carcass, um, and yeah, it was pretty visually spectacular. Uh, I was so nervous that. Uh, cause, uh, a, a, a router is kind of like a, I mean, a garbage disposal. Yeah. It's kind of like a router, you know, totally. not in size and power, totally. but when you throw things into it that are asymmetrical, it can vibrate a bit. Oh yeah. So and afraid the sink was going to like, I was worried apart. that like, you know, acrylic was just going to like burst at the seams <laughs> and my glue, my acrylic glue lines weren't going to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, with acrylic, you, I use screws and glue, but like, it's still very brittle. Right. Yeah. And with the screws, you kind of have to over drill the hole sizes. So the threads aren't in there that strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, and I haven't done a lot of uh, acrylic fabrication. So I was a little bit nervous about that, but it all held fantastic. Um, it, the, the content's going to be released in a variety of different things. We shot a bunch cool. of like B roll footage. That's going to go onto like Pinterest and YouTube. Uh, I'm going to release a build video of the sink. And then I think we're going to end up, you know, doing some sort of like live broadcast kind of thing. Um, And uh, yeah, so it was awesome. It's also just reminded me of why I love shooting my own stuff because when there's there's 10 people on site, all those people have a day rate. And so if something breaks because you didn't make it right, it's like you're costing the client like $50,000 a day. Yeah. Uh, and and it's that's really stressful so uh it was fun i got paid a ton for it which is fantastic for you know like you know basically what ended up being like seven or eight days of work um but way more stressful than what like my current sort of process for making a video is um so uh that was a lot of fun uh it was interesting and The weird thing was is I thought this was kind of like a throwaway testing project, but it made me really rethink acrylic. And now uh, I want to do like an acrylic bathroom vanity. Like I think in an all white tiled bathroom, Mm -hmm. it's like the sink and like the counter and everything was clear for like someone that's like really OCD and like a germaphobe. (laughs) It it would be pretty like futuristic looking and pretty awesome. That'd be like a plumber's nightmare though, because then all the pipes have to look good and everything. You yeah. can see the problems yeah. right away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's your problem. Look at this. You got a huge and, gummy worm stuck in your pipes. And I also really dialed in my settings, as I, as I think I said before, on my uh, X-Carve for cnc thick acrylic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do some really – even straight out of the X-Carve, the, the, the milled acrylic looks pretty awesome. It's like just a slight frost to it. Um, so I think there's some – I'm definitely going to be doing some acrylic furniture in, in the near future. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, because it would diffuse light too. So that's got some cool potential. 
I don't know if you guys saw yep. it, but uh, Johnny Build. So I've talked about him on here before, and he was yeah, at WorkbenchCon. Did see? Did yeah, that nightstand that he did. So it's yeah, yeah. It's all acrylic except for the drawer that goes into it. So it's kind of like you know from a distance, invisible ish looking. So if you guys haven't seen it, go check it out. It's a cool video. Do it, Chris. Now go. Yeah. All right, now <laughs> Chris, that you're back. What have you been working on? Uh, I have. I made your worst nightmare, Mike. Um, <laughs> mirrors. Yeah, mirrors. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I made a big mirror. <laughs> Only broke it twice. I'm happy to report. Oh, no, wow. just joking. I didn't beat my record. No. How many times <laughs> did you break it? Oh gosh! Well, it, it like, only broke. It only how many broke mirrors twice. Did you go through? Okay, so four, 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 four. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, one mirror. I it was safe. One and it done. Made it through the whole project. Yeah, it was like a. Uh, I don't know what you would call it—a freestanding mirror, I guess. So where it doesn't have to get attached to a wall; it's just in a stand itself. So yeah. I was gonna do it. I don't know if this is the style or if it tilts, but I think it's called a cheval mirror. It's like those ones where. You know, it's got like some hardware in it so it can tilt forward, tilt backwards. I was going to do that. And then I thought like, when am, when are we ever going to actually tilt this thing? Never. <laughs> so I decided to just build it in a fixed position. So I'd drawn it all out where it was leaning back at about like five degrees. But I ended up not even measuring a degree when I put it in there. I just kind of set it in there and eyeballed it until it felt right and then screwed it off. And that's how it was locked. So the way that it stands is the mirror is leaning back and then the legs... This is hard to explain audibly, but it basically has three points of contact. The mirror itself hits the ground and then two legs that shoot backwards hit the ground. So it's got the three points so it doesn't wobble. Um, And it's actually got a bar where you can attach it to a wall if you want to, but I have it not attached to a wall right now and it's perfectly stable. Um, Cool. Other than that, let's see. I put out the baby dresser video, which... Uh I like that one a lot, man. That intro was actually really, really funny. Thank you. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of compliments. Like I've had a few people tell me that it's like the favorite design that I've done on my channel so far. So I think it's yeah. this one probably is like the most colorful-ish. So if you like that kind of stuff, it would appeal to you on that level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy with the way that it came out and it's going good so far. Uh, <laughs> other than that, just, you know, actually, so... Ben, you when you were talking about the sink and how like that ramped up the pressure of having the the crew there and all that stuff, I kind of had a similar feeling lately because there's two projects that I have planned coming up. They're not set in stone yet, but that are going to be commissioned pieces for other people. And so that always, I feel like that ramps up the pressure extra for me because it's like, you know, on a, if you're making it for yourself, there's kind of like a really good outcome and then there's like a good video outcome and then there's a bad outcome. So you can have it be almost like a <laughs> mediocre outcome, but you could probably make it look like a good outcome for the video. But okay, yeah. that's not even an option going into these ones. They have to be a good outcome because they're going to go to people. So my, you know, my standard for if I'm sending it to somebody else is higher than my standard for if I'm keeping it for myself. So right. yeah, it helps. It's exciting to do because like it makes me think of other designs that I wouldn't have thought of. Definitely these projects are things that would not have come about if it weren't for the requests that they have. But then at the same time, every time I'm like, ah, do I really want to be doing client stuff? Like it would be so much easier and quicker to just keep putting out stuff the way that I've been putting it out. So I don't know. It's kind of a balance yeah. that I'm trying to walk with that. Yeah. It's, it's a raise your price problem really. Yeah. Um, you just have to keep raising it until it makes sense to do it. It's right. It's worth the pain. Right. Yeah. But 
I'm so what, tra- are, what are you going to build so or what are you the, thinking about building? The first one, it's actually going to be another record player stand. So a guy contacted oh, nice. me and he liked that original record player. And so, you know, I just told him, well, I can't really build the same thing twice. But the more we got to talking, the more it became clear that he just really liked angular things. So we worked yeah. on a bunch of different designs and he had he has these set dimensions that he wants. And it's a lot taller than the stuff that I typically build. And so... I could tell that he really likes low and long stuff. So I wanted to like keep that long look, but still have it at a height that's ergonomic for him. And pretty much the reason for the height that he wants is just so that he doesn't have to bend over to use the record player. But in terms of like how much usable cabinet it is, it doesn't have to be a ton. So the design that we came up with is raised off the ground quite a bit. So it's like 32 inches high, but the cabinet part of it doesn't even start until 16 inches. So it still kind of has that long look without... You know, if I had just made it like a box that was to the dimensions, it, it wouldn't have had that look at all. Yeah. And what we ended up doing is actually the box part of it is just a straight up box. There's no weird angles in that, but the legs are really angular and it's going to be a style that I've never done before um, where they lean in actually at 45 degrees and then it has like a branch coming off of it at another 90, kind of like the way that the, the metal the legs, like the legs that you did for the dining table. The Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had like the kind of like Y shape. Yep. So it's kind of similar to that. So that'll be interesting to play around with because it's going to have to be pretty strong because it's a big cabinet. So I think though, that's kind of like a net, the the legs you did on the dresser, even though they were really short, it was like a slightly more complicated geometry than you normally use. And then mm-hmm. this will be even a slightly more complicated geometry. So it's kind of cool. It's like a like yeah. a, it's a try, tiered thing. Yeah. And trying out new things and then, you know, hopefully it works out and then I can take that into different directions. But and one of the things that it was actually just kind of a throwaway idea while I was doing it, we, I was designing it all. And like, we hadn't even talked about how we were going to do the pools. And I was like, well, the guy really likes angular stuff. What about like having it be where half of the door is carved away at a 45 degree angle. So it's like recessed where, you know, part of it will be an inch thick and then another part of it will only be a quarter inch thick so that there's a part that you can grab the handle in. And it kind of forms these like triangles And so I was playing around with how to make those. I did that this weekend because it has to be basically if you just think of like a pushed in triangle shape, right? So just imagine it was in SketchUp and you use the push pull tool to push in an inch thick piece, three quarters of an inch. But then it has to have it where there's something that you can reach behind to grab it. But nothing with a router bit would work because the like guide part of the router would have to touch where there's going to be material. So there'd be no way to get in there. Or if it wasn't, then you would need some kind of fence, but you can't have a fence because there'd be the protruding part behind it. So what I came up with, and hopefully this makes sense hearing it. If anybody has a better idea, write to me because the best idea I could come up with was basically to make it in two pieces. So I'm going to make a quarter inch piece. That'll be the back of the drawer. And then a three quarter inch piece. That'll be the front of the drawer. And I'll cut away the three quarter inch piece at an angle. So basically I'll cut it into a piece where there's a 45 degree, it's a rectangle with a 45 degree angle on one side. So now it's no longer, it's just a, I don't know, half of a, I I don't know what it's almost a trapezoid. It's a half rectangle, half trapezoid. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that part that's cut away, the blade is tilted at 45 degrees also so that it's something you can reach behind and grab. So hopefully that makes sense to people. If you guys have any better, easier ways that I can produce that, let me know because I can't think of any. <laughs> you know what you should do? I think it would be cool What's is that? if you still have them. You were talking about the, I think it was at WorkbenchCon, you were talking about the way you model in SketchUp where you have like yeah. different iterations just lined up next to each other. That would mm-hmm. be cool to see someday. 
Yeah, I, I mean, that was kind of what I was planning to do with this video was to really like talk about the client aspect of it and like all the design yeah. iterations that we went through because I have a ton of record player, like between this and the first one, I probably have like <laughs> 30 freaking record player drawings. So yeah. Yeah, I would like to do that. And actually, you know, I'm going to post a picture of these drawer faces. If you're anything like me and you can't visualize what I'm talking about, I'm going to put a picture on our Instagram to come up the day that this comes up. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. if you got any ideas, let me know, because this will definitely work the way that I'm thinking about doing it. But it seems extra laborious, but whatever. Mm -hmm. um, Are they going to be sliding doors or, or hinged? Hinged. So it'll be two hinged. doors. Oh, and two, okay, I see. Yeah. yeah, two doors and two drawers. So in total, mm -hmm. there'll be four pieces that are going to have that same kind of pool on it cool yeah i'm excited to see the drawing because i i think i have a decent picture of it but not enough to give you any kind of ideas cool all right yep but yeah that's that's all i'm working on let's go into should we do some questions yeah yeah let's do it let's keep it rolling we've actually already been talking we've already been yammering for 30 minutes but anyway <laughs> let's see ews ashton from instagram asks i'm not a tech type guy I'm a welder by trade and making stuff is my hobby. I want to get into 3D design, 3D printing, and CNC work. Do you have any recommendations on what specs I should be looking for on a laptop? So the first thing that jumps into my mind is that most of the stuff I've used is not very intensive in terms of like the specs you need to run the modeling software. So I would say any laptop out there should be fine. And if you're doing like CNC, it doesn't really require much on the laptop end of things. So I just get a mouse. That's the yeah. only suggestion I have is make sure you have a yeah. mouse. Don't try and just use a trackpad. No, that's, yeah, that would, on SketchUp, that's, that's a, a nightmare. huge pain in the butt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But aside from that, I mean, like really any machine that you buy should be able to run. I don't know much about Fusion. I don't know how, how, how much CPU it uses really. But in terms of SketchUp, it's a pretty light software. Yeah. I would think that, I mean, I'm sure Fusion is a little bit more taxing, but I would think it's still... Not gonna. I, I would think anything that's new on the market out there today will have the specs you need in order to run it. Yeah, I would say anything new. Uh, I mean, I use Mac laptops. The one thing I'd say with CNCs is I, I got a new Mac laptop that's like really nice, and now the keyboard's all jacked up because it got too dusty. Oh man! Oh, no. For like thirty or forty straight hours, I had it covered. I had this like giant bin over it, but just like the ambient dust got into mm. it. It's, it's fine. I'll take it into the, the, the Apple store and have them open it up and clean it out. Um, it's just like when I hit a key, sometimes it doesn't register or it'll register twice. I always think um, about yeah. that because I always use my laptop when I'm out there and I just like cover it. I just drape a whole towel over it. And like, I also got a super long USB so I can have it yeah, really far away from it when USB I'm running it. So I can literally like close the door, drill a hole in the wall and have it in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably honestly just get like an old kind of throwaway laptop for running it off well, of or not throwaway, but you know, just like an older one that does, I don't really care about. I only use it for that because it really doesn't need much power at all. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's probably what my, when, when my old one is completely done using normal computing stuff, I'll just use it just for, just for that, um, to do that. So say, no, I'd say uh, computer, uh, you know, doesn't matter too much for 3d modeling cam and digital fabrication stuff normally isn't that intensive and running the modeling software. Isn't the thing that's normally, uh, computing intensive that's related to 3d modeling is rendering. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember like, you know, but computers have gotten so much faster that it, you know, it's gotten easier and easier. So, but I remember when I was first doing, you know, architectural renderings and stuff like that, uh, you know, it would take hours and hours to like get a decent rendering with like 
the most powerful big PC towers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the the other thing is from a tech pr- like you know if tech stuff worries you. So the laptop, as we've said, is not a concern. Um, but the actual equipment that you'll be using is probably where you're going to get a little bit more confused and have to like really read up on things or watch some videos to, to get your bearings, at least to get initiated. Um, but one of the, this can kind of transition into one of the companies that, uh, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to use anything from them. I know we all talked to them at WorkbenchCon, and I think we all have plans to eventually use their service, but Shapeways? Yeah, yeah, I used them. Um, So while I was in Asheville, I made the hairpin legs for the slab table that that we built with Johnny Mm -hmm. and uh, Kressel Anderson. And every, every time I build a project that uses hairpin legs, I get the comment like, well, what if you have hardwood floors? Isn't it gonna dent it or isn't it gonna scratch it? And to that, I always say, probably not, unless you're just jumping on your table or just sliding it around. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a normal person, probably not. But they do make hairpin leg floor protectors. And there's, like, one company that makes them. They're kind of ugly, and they're kind of expensive. So Mm. uh, I just made a quick 3D model in SketchUp of some pyramid-shaped little end caps that you can put at the bottom of hairpin legs and it essentially just gives it more surface area. And uh, I printed them in a hard plastic. In hindsight, I think it would be really cool to print them in a softer plastic so it could also be a non-slip mm. cap to the legs too so that it can't yeah. slide around. Or, or just dip them in clear flex seal. Yeah, yeah, the like, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I got two sets. I got a set in white and a set in orange just because I was curious to see the quality of the print and then the quality of colors that you know they're able to do. And I was really impressed. Um, so a buddy of mine runs a 3D printing company, and he just makes a lot of like fundraiser type things and just general like stuff for local businesses. It's not anything like crazy. But I compared the the print that Shapeways made to what he was using, and he's using a craft bot, which mm-hmm. I don't know how good of a machine that is. He's got a few of them. Um, but compared to the print that he was showing me. These were really, really nice, and I'll they'll be in my hairpin leg video, so check them out. I shout them out. They're not a sponsor. Hopefully, they're a sponsor in the future, but um, so yeah, if you're interested in seeing how good they look, they'll be in that video for the, for the viewers. What about you guys? Well, I haven't done anything with them, but they're, it was one of the more exciting companies to talk to that weekend, just because it seems like there's a lot of potential out there to like prototype things in different materials that normally you wouldn't have access to kind of dip your toe into something that you're thinking about to see how useful it is for you before you take the full plunge. And you know, you're probably going to spend a little bit more for that one part up front, but you don't have to invest, you know, potentially thousands of dollars into something that you might not be that into down the road in a couple months or whatever. Big time. Yeah. People often think that the first step to getting into digital fabrication is getting a 3D printer or getting a CNC. The first step should be downloading software and experimenting with 3D modeling or file preparation. Uh, My recommendation would be to have four or five designs ready before you get the machine. Yeah. Uh, Because what most people do is they get the machine, they plug it in, they test print the first little thing that, that they get, and then it sits there until they figure out how to 3D model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, so. it's exactly what you were saying with the lathe. It's like, I'm not going to buy right. a lathe until I have a few fleshed out ideas. So develop the applications first. Think of your designs. Uh, 
you know, use free modeling software, get good at modeling, have designs ready. That way, when you get the machine, you're going to be putting it to work right away and getting uh, a return on the capital you invested into it. The, the other option is things like Shapeways. If you get good at 3D modeling and you want to have it printed on a machine that's better than what you could afford to buy, use Shapeways. Get it printed for you. Upload your, your 3D model. They'll send you the, the finished print. It's an, it's an expensive way to get products, but it's a lot cheaper than buying your machine that you're going to use for one thing. Um, so there are services like that. Or sign up for a local makerspace. Use their CNCs, their 3D printers. Get good at it and then invest in, in your own. Um, so the, you know, that being said, I would say, uh, you know, they're, they're amazing tools. Um, Jamie, my, uh, uh, who works for me, uh, you know, just finished those really cool Ryobi, uh, battery clips that add extra tool storage onto the the underside of the battery. Yeah. So that's a project that we're going to upload to the Shapeways so that anybody that has that drill, uh, or those batteries can can uh, order one, right? Mm-hmm. So we can do instant fulfillment for something that she just 3D modeled and rapidly prototyped. So that's a really exciting thing. And that opens up for, you know, the inventors out there, for all the people that have sort of ideas for, for quick products. It's a pretty cool way to sort of get to market, test things out, get things in people's hands uh, before you go to sort of mass mass production. So uh, if you want to see that, uh, just, just search uh, Jamie Guan, um, or you can probably find a link to her from my Instagram and uh, check out the little uh, uh, drill pack that she made. It's it's pretty clever. And that'll be going up on Shapeways relatively soon. Awesome. Yeah, that was a really cool idea. She didn't print it in green, though. She's got to make it like highlighter green. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll look into it with Shapeways and see what kind of uh, things. But I actually think those will come in handy with the, 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 the Joshua Tree build. Big time, um, yeah. I ordered a bunch of uh, new tools from Ryobi, so we get a whole new suite of power tools. Uh, I'm also getting a lot of generators and stuff. So I have both the solar generators, and I also think I got like a propane generator. Oh, So we're going to have lots of options for uh, powering stuff. And I bought an extra shipping container. So one of the ones that opens on the sides, like all the way. Oh, nice. And that's yeah. going to be like our on-site kind of job box. Um I also got to go to the land for the first time too. I forgot to to to, to tell that. So I have like a mountain now. <laughs> uh, King of the mountain, mountain Ben. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, it's gonna be pretty fun when you get out here, Mike. Like, uh, I know I'm pissed off that I'm not already there. No, well, it's good because well, it's groundbreaking. Uh, well, right now I'm trying to lock down a rental property for all of us to stay. <laughs> so it's not constantly a, a you know massive Airbnb uh, bill. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, like the Airbnbs in that area are like $200 a night. Mm-hmm. So if you you know extrapolate that out a month, that's that's quite a bit. Whereas like renting a whole house is more like in the sort of 13 or $1,400 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to get that sort of lease all signed away. Um, but I found that like my... Uh, my profile, like, uh, I might just have to rent, like, the whole, pay for the whole year's lease in advance, uh, strictly because, like, I don't have, like, a typical employer. Like, all these, this area, like, mm. the people are so afraid of, like, meth heads and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they don't yeah. allow anyone to say that they're self, like, the first thing on these, on three of the rental places say, oh, we don't, we don't work with self-employed people. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm like, you know, I'm, 
can definitely afford this. Like this isn't a, yeah. a thing and they just say, Oh, this. Yeah. So I either have to find like a place that's sort of like owner rented or uh, just pay for the whole that's cool. year's lease in advance. Gotcha. Which is kind of annoying. You know what? I, you know what I was thinking, uh, working on this last welding project was I wish I had a camera that could shoot in like really good slow-mo. The camera I have can shoot in 60 frames per second, which once that, gets, once that gets cut down, is basically like half speed. So one second yeah. is two seconds of footage. What kind of camera did they have on set, Ben, where y'all were like destroying things in that garbage disposal? Oh, it was, had like a it was a massive something. camera. Yeah, yeah, it was It was probably like a $50,000 camera. Were they, sh- were they shooting like a bunch of slow-mo stuff or did you like get to see any of yeah. it like getting yeah. destroyed in slow-mo? Yeah, it, it was super, super pro. But I think if if you're, Mike, you're in the, the, the Facebook group, I like to make stuff, not yeah. Bob's, but the, the other one. Um, there was a post on there where somebody did uh, video tips for welding and they just set the the darkness or the, the exposure way low on the video camera. Yeah, and they make like ND filters. Have you heard of those? Well, they just they just did a set. It was just a, a, a digital setting on the camera itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's you can. It's like a digital ND filter. Okay. Right. So when yeah. when when the when you're not striking, when the arc isn't lit up from the welder. Oh, so it adjusts. Uh, it's almost pitch black, so it adjusted that. So it's almost like using the camera as its own welding mask. Oh, well, that's um, a cool idea because whenever I was welding, I was I was doing that. I was realizing that I don't ever run auto exposure, but while I was at Johnny's, I kept my ISO on auto while I was welding because I didn't want to go through the hassle of trying to figure all of that out. And mm-hmm. what I found is that once you once you start the weld, it takes the camera about like a quarter of a second to adjust the exposure and the shot's pretty clean. And so that gave me like a good guideline as to like, okay, I need to be at this exposure with this shutter speed and and I'm somewhat close. But whenever I was welding the bookshelf back home, I waited until it got dark so I could get some cool kind of slow-mo shots. And I was just like, it was really funny. I had the welder in one hand and then my camera in the other hand. And I was just looking at the LCD and just doing little welding sparks to try and expose Uh it like manually. And it worked. I ended up getting a couple of really, really cool shots. So watch that video, guys, and then compliment me on the uh, on the slow mos. <laughs> I'll have like a three second montage because I didn't get as many shots as I wanted. Yeah, I just ordered really nice uh, welding helmets. Yeah, uh, like they're expensive. They're like three hundred and fifty bucks. Oh lord, holy cow! Yeah, yeah I got. I, was, I, was, I got those. I was going to hit up oh, Lincoln, but you know, I I'd rather just buy it, use it, and then you know, show them that. Uh, I contributed some content and value and then maybe work out a deal with that. You know, that's my biggest regret of WorkbenchCon. I didn't go over to the, the you LinkedIn. You didn't talk to them at all? I, yeah, no, I didn't get over there. I wanted to, I could have messed around over there. I've never done anything. They were they were great. Uh, I went to their their intro class um, with Brian Fuller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Lincoln people were, they they understand the sort of maker community, it's, it seems, and yeah, you know, I was just seeing you know Jimmy and April and John. Yeah, everybody um, was like, just you know, there. Like you know, them were just at an event, so they're a cool company. Uh, and, yeah, uh, yeah, I think they're they're doing some really interesting stuff. And you know, I don't know a ton about welding, but their stuff seems to work well. And a lot of people I know and respect use it. So. <laughs> awesome, Chris. Do we have a hypothetical this week, or am I sending it to the closing? Uh, we do not have one. I can make Ooh. one up real quick. Actually, no, okay. you know what? I asked. This is a I short have, one. I have a hypothetical. Okay, go oh, for it. Here we go. If you were hypothetically uh-huh. to <laughs> launch a product company Ooh, around the yeah. sort of making space, what products 
would you sell? Mm. So this is a hypothetical this is a qu- for this for the listener for the listener. No, this is for this us. for us and for the you. listener. We want it. We want it. We want listener feedback here because this hypothetically may be what we might be doing. <laughs> well, assuming that you don't have anything that's just like a game changer that's proprietary, it seems right. like the essentials would be the place to start, right? I mean, yeah. You know, one company that I was really impressed with while we were at WorkbenchCon was I talked to Woodpeckers, and they had a really cool kind of business model and a really strange name that I just can never get over every time I say it, man. <laughs> but but they've got a really interesting model where essentially a lot of what they make is kind of the the like marking style tool that Chris uses. A lot yeah, of other right kind up of my alley. yeah, a lot of like right angle stuff and a lot of squares and whatnot. But they, mm-hmm. they build them all themselves. I think, Ben, you were talking about it. Maybe I was talking to somebody else about how they just spent like a stupid amount of money on CNC machines so that they can cut all of this. So most of the parts are milled aluminum and they mill them themselves. Yep. Um, and, it, and it's a really cool business model because they're able to make all of these like limited run batches on things as well, like exclusive items, um, whether it's like a, a combination square or some kind of cool innovative thing. They're able to basically make a thousand of them, tell them that they tell people there's a thousand of them, and once they're gone, they're gone. And I think that's a really kind of interesting way of doing something because they are able to sell that kind of exclusivity in a way. So, what product would you? So, what product sell? would I sell? Um, I don't know. I'm a big proponent of. You know what always goes wrong is my clamps. There you go. Uh, this is probably because I buy things from Harbor Freight too much. <laughs> admittedly but it, it's it's just it's tempting when things are as cheap as they are but nothing's worse than in the because this happened to me and this is not just a story this really happened is i was gluing up a panel on this bookshelf and while i was in the middle of the glue up for the top of it one of the clamps broke and it was already one of those situations where i had glued up the bottom two shelves so 80 percent of my clamps were already used and yep. so the clamp that broke was the clamp that I kind of really needed. So I don't know. I think clamps are cool. Making an affordable, heavy-duty clamp would be neat. Yeah, I think that makes sense because it's also one of those things where, like, when you first get into woodworking, there's so many options you can go in terms of, like, what tools you're going to get. Are you going to get a circular saw? Are you going to get a table saw? You can debate all those things, but clamps are pretty consistent that you're going to get some of them. Everybody so, got clamps. Everybody got them. Nobody got enough. All right, Chris, what's yours? Uh, you stole mine. No, I would say <laughs> after that, finish would be the next thing that pops into my head just because, again, the true every product's going to use finish. I, I mean, what do you get the most questions about from people? That's a good point. Yeah. Wow. Finish. Yeah. That's, I get pretty much any question that I get that's like, is either where do you buy your plywood, which is always a bad answer because it's a local place. So if you don't live in Southern California, can't really help you. But then it's what finish did you use on that product? And I think it's because everybody kind of dislikes finish in a way. Like it's, you know, you don't want to yeah. mess it up. You've got everybody's had done. like bad finish experience. Yeah. And everybody's looking for like, Oh, is there like some magical product out there that I don't know about that mm-hmm. you just wipe it on and wipe it off and that's it. But yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, I think finishes are interesting. Uh, I also think like stain colored stains would be like it'd be interesting to do a company that doesn't make 30 colors of stains right. but just does limited runs that are based on sort of what's popular at that moment. Yeah. Right. So like yeah. whitewashed wire brushed oak is like a really popular stain. So 
if you had a company that okay, we're not going to always make this. We're going to make this until it's, <laughs> until it's not trendy anymore, and then we're going to look for <laughs> the, the new one. So it's really focusing on on a, a specific style rather than trying to be generic one size fits all. That's so true. Um, I mean, whenever you walk into Home Depot for the first time, like in your first like 10 projects, you just stare at a wall of stain and there's so many options. You get like paralyzed by choice in a way anyways. Mm-hmm. So right. like limiting so, that option would kind of be convenient for people. So, so especially from people coming from more from a design background is we're not sort of, you know, chemists and stuff like that. So we'd have to rely on somebody else sort of innovating on the stain, but sort of, coming up with scenarios. And I also think making stains for particular species of wood yeah. Mm. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. Rather than sort of saying, oh, this is a stain for wood, right? No, this is a stain for walnut. This is a stain only for oak. But it's, it's to really get very specific colors and performances out of specific species of wood rather than saying like, uh, you know, because I mean, if, if I'm going to spend money on a real hardwood, on a nice hardwood, mm-hmm. I don't mind buying a specialty stain for fifteen bucks to go on, you know, to 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 go on it. Um, so I, I think stains would be cool. But for me, I've been thinking about this, and I think that like sort of tools should have more sort of self-expressive benefit. Um, if you look at like uh, people that make stuff, it's not a strictly sort of practical pursuit. It's a it's a passion pursuit that has practical functionality baked into it, right? So what I'm sort of thinking is that if you look at people that are really into motorcycles and stuff like that, it's it's not just what, you know, they there's an aesthetic to that whole hobby that they care about. Um, so I want tools that kind of look cooler, like the same way uh, if I was to buy like, a, you know, Here's a great example, right? I like making coffee. I make pour over coffee. I care that my like coffee, uh, my pour over coffee cisterns and the devices and the canisters and all the stuff in the kitchen looks nice, right? So it's not improving the performance of the canister that I'm storing the coffee in. I just want a functional thing that looks cool on the shelf. So same thing with tools. I want a Japanese pull saw that looks awesome. It has like a nice handle. I want things that... Mm-hmm. As if I sort of lay out some of my tools, all look great. Uh, I like that all my Ryobi tools match, right? <laughs> that I have like the full thing. And I just have this wall in my loft of all this sort of green and uh, right. uh, gray and black. Yeah. So I think that would be the thing I would sort of uh, focus on is also better clothing for <laughs> like better like sort of workwear clothing. That's probably, uh, aside from uh, what finish you use, like what boots do you wear is probably my second most common like comment for some reason. <laughs> right. If like I don't like heavy work boots because I feel like I, I scuff up stuff, yeah. I want more like ninja shoes, right? Like, <laughs> uh, And if like skateboarders could have their own shoes, like makers should have their own, their own yeah. shoes. Like I want something that doesn't mar, right? Like that, that if I step on a, if I try to hold a piece of wood down with like my, my foot, it mm-hmm. has like a non-marring, like nice gum sole. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, I, I care more about support for standing up than I do for like steel toed kind of protection. Right. Like a, a shoe that would do really well standing for a long period of time on hardwood or concrete floors. Right. That would, uh, you know, and, and those kind of things. But also, uh, you ever put on like a welding jacket? It's just gross. Like uh, <laughs> nothing sort of fits right, or they have these weird, stupid collars. Like it's got flames and be, skulls all over it. 
yeah this, <laughs> this stuff could be made a lot a lot better yeah um, totally so uh that those those would be would my be it would be the more sort of self-expressive kind of uh aspects of making yeah i agree that cooler would be tool cool. belts cooler shoes better sort of protective gear um and uh like hand tools that like look really nice hanging on the wall yeah big time so thanks guys for listening hope you enjoyed this episode make sure and uh, give us some ideas if you think you've got the (laughs) next uh idea for what tool should be made or what vertical we as a potential hypothetical company should go in let us know we want to hear what the people want if you're not already make sure and follow us on instagram we are at modern builds at benjamin ueda and at four eyes furniture uh, the podcast Instagram is at Modern Maker Podcast. Pretty easy to find. If you're not already, we would appreciate a review as well. That just lets the podcast know we're a good podcast. It's as simple as that. Five stars is great. Four stars is worse. Anything below that is garbage. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Later. Bye. Sweet.